0: Well, it's good to be with you guys today. My name is Matt. Um, Thank you for coming. If this is your very first time at the Stone, we want to welcome you. You know, there's a lot of things you could be doing on a summer Sunday in Austin, Texas, besides being here, so we're glad you joined us. We're starting a three-week series today on biblical manhood, on biblical, biblical masculinity. We preached this series several years ago, really connected with our body. We saw a lot of marriages restored. A lot of men turn um, and repent of their sin during this series. And so this was the sermon series that was the basis for the book that Colt and I wrote together. And we decided that with Father's Day coming up, it would be a great thing for us to just do this series again and to repackage it and kind of preach it again. And so this series is kind of based off of that series we preached a long time ago here at the Stone. Um, This week I'm going to preach on the man's call to lead, the biblical call to lead, and uh, we're going to look at some of the ways in the, the sermon, the way that sin and lack of leadership manifests itself in our lives as men. Um, next week, I'm going to be preaching on marriage and the call that men have to love their wives like Christ loved the church, which we've heard that verse a thousand times. Most of us have absolutely no clue how to do that. And we're gonna get very next week's a lot of practical how-to application for what a lot of things that we're talking about. And then I think on Father's Day, which is the following week, Colt McCoy is actually gonna preach. And so he's gonna be here. He's gonna be preaching on legacy and the fact that all men leave a legacy. It's just a matter of which legacy it is that you're leaving. And that's gonna be he's gonna be here in the two morning services live. Um and that's going to be in two weeks. And so Colt's going to be preaching. Colt is actually a really good communicator if you've ever heard him preach. And so that's going to be a good Sunday. I'm excited about that. I explained to him that I would much rather him come and do my job on a Sunday than me have to come and do his job on a Sunday. And he agreed that that would probably be a better thing. And so that's going to be fun a couple of weeks from now. But uh, years ago, Jennifer and I were watching the television show Glee. And uh, we watched the first season of it and then we gave up. On the, on the, because it was just stupid. And, and so we, we gave up on the show. And, but we were watching this one episode, and this young couple that was not married, was in high school, had sex before they were married, and, and, and the girl got pregnant. And, um, and, the, and the boy was just freaking out. He was just being a wimp. He didn't know what to do, and he's basically crying, I don't know what to do, what are we going to do? And this is horrible, what's going to happen? And, and this girl had become pregnant just with a straight face, Looked at him very seriously and she said this. And I took a notepad out and wrote this down because I thought that's going to work in a sermon on biblical manhood at some point in my life. But she looked at him and she said, somewhere inside of that pea brain of yours is a man. And I need you to access him right now, right? <laughs> and that's what we're trying to do here over the next few weeks. Is that somewhere inside of about half of us in the room here is a man. And more importantly is a biblical man. And our attempt over the next couple of weeks through the power of the Spirit is to access Him and live in that. If you're a woman, this series, I believe, is just as much for you as it is for us guys. Many of you are either married or you're going to be married. Uh, Many of you are raising boys, which will one day be men. Many of you are going to raise boys, which will one day be men. And so our hope for you is that you will see a biblical picture of what a man is supposed to do and live and how he's supposed to act and Uh, and carrying himself biblically in this life. If you're a single woman, some of the things that we're going to talk about, and even specifically today, we're going to talk about some of the ways that sin and lack of leadership manifest itself in the lives of men. And and hopefully what you do, if you're dating a guy, you might see some of these sins that we're talking about. You may see them already being shown up or manifest in his life. That doesn't mean break up with him, but you do need to understand that if you see these sins in his life now, it doesn't mean that they're gonna miraculously disappear on the day of your wedding. Okay, you need to know that. And and the second thing, our hope is that as as we walk through and paint the picture biblically of what a man is supposed to be doing, that you would be able to see and go, okay, that's what I'm looking for, and that's the kind of man I want to spend the rest of my life with. Single guys. A lot of the application and stuff will be for you over the next couple weeks, but um, it's important, I think, for you to remember as we talk about marriage, as we talk about fatherhood, that the time to prepare for marriage and the time to prepare for being a dad is not the day that those two things occur. That the time to prepare for those two things is years before those things ever happen in your life. And so if I'm talking about marriage, don't tune out. You need to listen in those, uh, those things that we're talking about in marriage and in fatherhood. All right, so let's jump in. Once you open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. We'll get there in just a second. Let me set this up a little bit, and then we'll jump into the text. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Put your finger there and mark it. As you read the Bible, one of the things that becomes, or you become very aware of very quickly, is that one of the roles that God specifically calls the man to fulfill And men to fulfill is the role of leadership. All right, we see that God commands uh, us as men to fulfill the role of leadership in marriage. It's very clear scripturally. We see that as men, that God um, commands us to fulfill the role of leadership in our families. As men, we are the pastors of our homes. It's very clear in the scripture. As men, we are called to assume the role of leadership. In the church of Jesus Christ. And I think there's even biblical evidence that as single guys, maybe in a dating relationship, that we're called uh, to assume some roles of leadership even in a dating relationship. But here's the problem over the last 20 years or so that I've been in the ministry, I've observed the landscape of the body of Christ, and specifically the men within the body of Christ. And I think it's becoming clear to me as the years go by that honestly, and I'm in this boat, that we're not doing a great job, honestly, of fulfilling the roles of leadership that God has placed on us. And when you look at the ills of society, when you look at the ills of society, when you look at the, the deterioration of marriage in our country, when you look at all the dysfunctions in the family, which then lead to all the dysfunctions of adulthood, when, when you look at the failing, listen, of the American church to make an impact, a significant impact on our culture, which, by the way, there's a, a study that just came out a few days ago. Uh, by the I don't remember if it was Barnard or Gallup, but 77% of Americans think that the American church has little or no impact in their life. Okay, And so one of the reasons that that is occurring is this if you look at all those dysfunctions, if you look at all those ills of society and you put them all together, almost every single solitary time, listen to what I'm about to say, almost every single time when you trace those ills back to a root cause, you will find standing there a man that doesn't either know how to or has refused to lead biblically. And you may say, well, Matt, that seems like an exaggeration to say that you can take all of society's ills and trace them back to a root cause and there you'll find standing there a man who has failed to lead. But consider this. If in fact God has called men to lead in the arena of marriage, if in fact God has called men to lead in the arena of the family, if he's called men to lead in the arena of the church, which he has, if those things are failing, whose fault is it? Whose responsibility is it? Man, if we've been called to lead in marriage, in family, in the church, if those things are failing, then whose responsibility is it that they're failing? Okay, I think the scripture is going to show us here in a second that the responsibility falls on the shoulders of men. Let me just give you a biblical example of what I'm talking about. Our very first parents were Adam and Eve. Our very first parents were Adam and Eve. Now, I want to ask you just a little Bible pop quiz here. Don't shout it out, right? But I want you to just see if you can get the right answer. Who was the first... Person to sin. Was it Eve or was it Adam? He was the first person to sin. See, I think most people would answer the question, they'd say, Well, it was Eve. Because Eve was the first person to actually pick the fruit off the tree and put it in her mouth. But here's the thing that's interesting, look at it. The person that God holds responsible for that sin was not Eve, it was Adam. And the reason that is, is because God had called Adam to lead that relationship. The calling to lead was on his life, and Adam is sitting there watching that thing happen, and he does nothing about it. And so it's really a toss-up as to who sinned first, Eve who ate the fruit, or Adam who just sat there passively watching his wife sin. It did absolutely nothing. All right, show you what I'm talking about. Genesis 3.1, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And by the way, that's the first thing Satan does is he tries to get you to question the word of God. And that's what he's doing here with Eve. And in verse 2 it says, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. Verse 3, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. There he is. Satan's a liar. That's what he does. He's a deceiver. He lies to us, and he's lying to Eve. And he says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Now watch verse 6, because we don't pay attention to this verse. It says, so the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So she took of its fruit and ate. And that's where, in most of our minds, the, the verse kind of shuts off. But watch the rest of it. It says, And she gave, she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Knucklehead was standing right there watching it happen. I don't know, I just missed that. I, 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 he's like standing there, not saying a word, where this whole thing is falling apart. And, I mean, you would think, church, you would think that, it, that at some point it would hit Adam. My wife is talking to a snake, right? <laughs> and, and you would think at some point that it would cross his mind maybe to pick up a stick and beat the snake or something like that, which is what I would have done. I mean, I could have saved this whole thing, man. I, I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? If I'm out at my, my dear lease and I'm cruising along and my wife's outside, she's talking to a snake, the nine millimeter's coming out. Amen, Right? <laughs> Two clips, is coming fast. (laughs) But Adam is just silent. He's just standing there. I mean, you would think he'd pick up a stick. You would think that he would look at his wife and say, darling, stop. Stop. Baby, you're the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Sweetheart, you're the greatest gift God has ever given me. But this snake is asking us to do something that the Lord has asked us not to do. And we're not going to do it. And take her by the hand and lead her out of that situation. But that is not what he does. Whether because of laziness or cowardice. Or maybe he's just caught up in the temptation too. We don't know. Regardless... Adam does not step up and take responsibility for the spiritual health of his wife. Instead, what did Adam do? He did absolutely nothing. He did absolutely nothing. And because he did not lead, because Adam did not leave, sin entered into his family and death followed from him to the rest of everybody who ever lived. Now, I want you to watch God's response to all this because this is fascinating Watch God's response because God's going to call them into account for their sin. Listen, don't miss this. But but when he does, God doesn't call out to Eve who actually picked up the fruit and ate it. When God calls them into account for their sin, he calls out Adam's name. Okay, look at it. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So the women saw that the tree was good for food. And it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate and she gave, uh, also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of the both were opened... And they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So all of a sudden God shows up and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now look at verse 9. Pay careful attention. But then the Lord God called to the man. Called to the man and said, where are you? On this is a little side note here, but let's let's deal with this. God knows where they are. Okay, God is omniscient. God knows everything. God is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere at the same time. And so when God calls out to the man and says, where are you? It's not that God didn't know where they were. It's not that God didn't know what they, were, what they had done. This was God's way of calling them into account for the sin they just committed. And he's not saying, hey, Adam, where are you? I can't find you. It's more like he's saying, hey, boy, where are you at? Right? Where are you at? And here's the thing, and this is, this is haunting, and men, you've got to get this, that when Eve was deceived, Eve was the one that Satan went after, Eve was the one that picked up the fruit and ate it, yet when God called them into account for their sin, he did not call out her name, he called out the man. He called out the man. And then from that moment, the book of Romans tells us, from that moment, sin enters into the picture, and it will be spread to every single human being that's ever lived except Jesus and death will reign from that moment until the moment that Jesus says it is finished and then he dies on the cross. But I want you to watch where Paul says the blame for that first sin that spread to every man and woman. Watch where Paul lays the blame of the first sin. Romans 5, 12, it says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. Church, you see that? The responsibility for all sin is not traced back to Eve, even though she did it first. The responsibility for all sin is traced back to a man who didn't know how to lead. All right? And I want you guys, I want you to listen to me very carefully. God did not call your wife to lead your marriage. He called you to. God did not call your wife to lead your family and to pastor your family. He called you to. And so if those things are failing, if you're struggling in those areas, just like Adam, God's eyes are not on your wife. God's eyes are on you because he's called you to lead it. And so, for our marriages, for our families, for our relationships, for the church to be everything that God desires it to be and has designed it to be and is called to be, it begins. It starts. It is Genesis out of a man who is willing to be led by the Holy Spirit of God and lead biblically in those arenas. And what I want to do today is, when we finish this sermon, I think you realize that the eyes of the Lord are on us, man, to lead this thing is I want us to evaluate some of the ways and some of the ways that sin manifests itself in our lives, some of the ways that, we, uh, that the, our, our lack of leadership shows up in our lives and just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you or reveal to your wife, if, 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 if the Lord Holy Spirit doesn't reveal to you, your sins. And then let's just think uh, and talk later about how the Holy Spirit can call us to repent through this. Every one of these things I'm going to talk about on the list falls into one of two categories. All sin falls into one of two categories. This is true for men. It's also true for women. They're called sins of commission and sins of omission. Those are biblical concepts. In the Old Testament, there were different sacrifices if you committed a sin of commission versus a sin of omission. A sin of commission are the ones that most of us think about when we think about sin. And that's when you do something you're not supposed to do. That's a sin of commission. Okay? Look at pornography. Get angry with your wife. Act out in that anger. You lie. You cheat on your taxes. It's something you're not supposed to do, but you do. It's the sin of commission. But the other is a little sneakier. It's the sin of omission. These are things that God calls us to do, but you don't do them. Right? still sin. Jesus still had to die on the cross for those sins. And, and those kind of things, sometimes we're not even aware that we're doing them. So I'm going to get a list here. You just listen, categorize them, sins of commission, sins of omission, see if the Holy Spirit shows you you struggle with these. Uh, put these into kind of words of our own just so you'll be able to understand it better. The first is the sin of bravado. The sin of bravado. The sin of bravado looks like this. is whatever women do, you do the opposite. Since women are are nurturing, you're not. The guy that struggles with the sin of bravado is the guy that never changes a kid's diaper. He's he's the guy that never does the 3 a.m. feeding. This is a guy who would never go to a daddy-daughter dance with his daughter. And um, I was thinking about this. <clears throat> I, I took my daughter to the daddy-daughter dance this year, and I was hanging out there with my daughter. We were having a blast, a bunch of guys out there, and there was this one little girl who was hanging out with a group of her friends. She's maybe nine or ten, all dressed up in this pretty little dress, looking cute as she could be. She was all by herself, and Annie was talking to her, and so I talked to her, and I said, where's your dad? She said, oh, he's not here. I go, why wasn't he I here? Do you he have a business trip or something? She goes, no, he's at home. He just didn't want to go because he said he didn't like to dance. You want to talk about sin, man. <laughs> I had the sin of anger in that moment. I've never wanted to kill somebody more than I've ever wanted to kill that guy in my life. Because that girl's going to grow up. And there's going to be a guy that's going to be willing to dance with her. And she's going to want to dance back. And so that's why I go out there. I'm the worst dancer in the world. I am like I might be the worst dancer in the world. I'm out there doing the chicken dance, man. I work it with my daughter. Because I want her to see what a biblical man looks like. A guy with a sin of bravado would never go out and do that. This is the guy who doesn't do the dishes. This is the guy who doesn't hop up and get drink for your guest. This is the guy who doesn't clean or take care of sick kids. He's not a servant leader in any form. This is a guy who leaves the serving to women. It's a sin of bravado. The next is a sin of materialism. This is a classic example of a sin of omission, a sin of materialism. This is a thinking that masculine leadership equals financial provision. And make no mistake, we are called in the Scripture to provide for our families, but way too many of us guys think that that's where the responsibility to lead ends. There's still way too many of us that think that what our children want is an Xbox and a trip to Disneyland, well, what our children really desire is us. What they really want is us to be in their lives and to lead them. You're the guy that still thinks your wife, what she really wants is a 4,500 square foot house and a new car. And you have no clue that what she really wants more than anything else in the world is a guy that will pursue her and cherish her and pursue her emotionally and spiritually. Um, this is a classic example of a sin of omission. It's a sin of materialism. Next, is a sin of anger. You're the guy that leads with fear instead of tenderness. You're the guy that lo- loses his temper easily. This is a guy that leads his family like a tyrant. When, uh, when you aren't winning the argument, this is the guy who, uh, when, when, when their wife or, or their kids or their girlfriend is doing something they don't like, they use the volume of, uh, of their voices or the posture of their body or their physical strength to win the argument. You're the guy that's forgotten that it's the kindness of the Lord that led you to repentance. And you've forgotten that one of the greatest, greatest gifts you could ever give yourself is to know that it's your kindness that will lead your wife to repentance and not your anger. This is the sin of anger. The other is the sin of dominance and control. You're the guy that it's your way or the highway. This is the man who who doesn't leave room for his wife's wisdom or his wife's perspective to help direct and guide decisions. This is the guy that's so controlling over the lives of his children that it produces exasperation in their hearts. This is the guy who doesn't listen to their child's point of view because they're too busy correcting that child. Your, Your home is a place of constant correction and critique instead of loving, gentle leadership and admonition. You're the guy that keeps a a record of wrongs and continually holds it over your wife's head. You lead out of the letter of the law instead of the gospel of grace. This is a, a sin of dominance and control. Here's another one, the sin of laziness and immaturity. Laziness and immaturity. You're the guy that's never really grown up. You're a man in body alone. Your mind, your mouth, your soul Your level of maturity is in a perpetual state of adolescence. You're a guy that dominates modern warfare and fantasy football, but you have absolutely no clue how to keep your hand off your girlfriend and help her walk in holiness. You're the guy that's spurred on by the latest Matt Chandler, Francis Chan podcast, but you don't have a personal, intimate walk with Jesus Christ. You're the guy that in whatever situation you're in and life begins to get difficult, you quit. Because pain and discomfort is something that is to be avoided and not biblically embraced. That's the sin of laziness and immaturity. It's the sin of emotional and spiritual absence. This is a big one. Sin of emotional and spiritual absence. You're the guy that's absolutely dependable. But you're emotionally absent from your wife and from your kids. You're dependable but you can't remember the last time that you put her face in your hands and told her she was the most gorgeous woman on the face of the earth. You are steady, but your kids don't know what it's like for them to crawl up in your lap in an easy chair and let them fall asleep in your arms. Or to roll around on the floor with them and, and be crazy because you just want to have fun with them. Your kids don't want, know what it's like for you to tuck them in at night and pray for them. You're dependable, but your wife cannot remember the last time that you, not the pastor, led her in a more intimate walk with Jesus. We're going to talk more about that next week. There's a lot of women, men in this room right now that are spiritual widows. You're with them physically, but spiritually, they are all by themselves. Okay, this is the sin of emotional and spiritual absence. Sin of, uh, and this is kind of a tricky one, not a lot of guys show with this, but some do, sin of spiritual legalism and hyper-spirituality. This is the guy that doesn't feel real to the people around them because you're masquerading behind a mask of spirituality without ever truly admitting your own faults or your own need for the gospel. You're the guy that's, 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 even though you're struggling just like everybody else is, you always have a hyper-spiritual answer for the other guy who's struggling. You're the guy that critiques everything but leads nothing. That's the sin of hyper-spirituality. Last one here, sin of hedonism and frivolity. You're the guy that's wasting his life playing games. People love you, but nobody's following you. And the reason nobody's following you is because you're not going anywhere. Your goals are a lot more likely to be centered around your golf handicap or, or your stock portfolio than the spiritual health of your wife and your kids. You're more likely to be found playing poker or hanging out at the draft house with your boys than pursuing and cherishing your wife. You're, you're, you're a single guy that spends much more time on the web or at the gym than you do serving the body of Christ. You're, you're the guy that when you see needs around you in your neighborhood and in the church, you dismiss them to pursue sports and the latest dinner plans. You're, you're the guy that's always willing to trade the significant and the eternal for the fun and the exciting. That's the sin of hedonism and frivolity. I and mean, then as you hear those things, if, if you have some of those things in you, then I want you to know that that is sin. It's sin. Jesus had to die for those sins of omission. We think of sin as porn and, and lying and, and, and lust and anger, but sins manifests, sin manifests in some of the things that we're not doing, not just the things that we are doing. And the purpose of this series is to lay bare our hearts and unpack the stuff and go, yes, Jesus, I see these hooks in my life and I need you to come and change me. To be the man you've called me to be. Single guys, I'm going to talk to you for just a second, and some of y'all are going to get mad at me for what I'm going to say to you, and that's okay. And I'm not talking to everybody. As a matter of fact, I love the single guys at the Austin Stone. I'm not talking to everybody, but some of you I am. Here's the thing I am growing weary of watching women outserve you in this church, outserve you in the church, outlove you in the city, and outrisk you on the mission field. God did not stop calling young men to change the world in the Old Testament. And part of the purpose of this series, Single Guys, Young Guys, is to challenge you to get in the fight and do it right now. Not when you're 40, right now. I got an email yesterday. There's a partner the Austin Stone. served There's a guy that served in the AM services here at the main campus. He just died yesterday, tragically, of an accident. We don't have forever, guys. The time to get in the fight for the kingdom of God is right now. It's right now. And that's my hope for you. Married guys, I want to share this with you, something I want you to think about. Kevin Pegg said something to me years ago, and it's always stuck with me. He said, "As men, as men, our wives and our kids don't get to choose who their leader is. They don't get to choose who their leader is. You're it. You see, if you go to a church and you don't like the leader of the church, if you don't like me, you don't like our elder board, you can always leave and go to another church and find another spiritual leader. But the women of this church, the wives in this church, the kids of this church, you are the only leader they're ever going to have. You're the only husband she's ever going to have. the only father those kids are ever going to have. And they can't just, if you're dropping the ball, if you're failing, if you're out to lunch, if you're scared, if you don't feel equipped, they don't have the choice of going and find another leader. You're it. And so the time to step up and say, I need you, Jesus, to change me to be the man I'm called to be, the time to do that is right now. And so if you're here today and you, you heard that list of sins and and if you're like me and you're listening and, and you're like, ah, I'm committing and not committing, about seven of those. You have a couple of responses. If you're like, man, I'm failing here. One is despair. To give up, and that's exactly what Satan wants you to do. The second is a little sneakier. You can go, you know what? I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. I'm going to be a better man and pull myself up by the bootstraps. I'm going to go out there, and I'm going I'm to love my wife. And that's awesome, but the problem is you don't have the power to do it. The third option is to turn your eyes to Jesus, who is the only perfect man that ever lived and ask him to give you the strength and that's what Paul says we're done here. Listen carefully. Paul says in Romans 5:17, listen to what he says. He says if because of one man's trespass, that's Adam, death reigned through that one man. Listen. How much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life How are we going to reign in life? It it tells us through the one man, Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget that truth. There's only been one perfect man that's ever lived. It ain't you, it ain't me, it's Jesus. Only hope you have to be the man he's called you to be is by his grace in your life. And I'm telling you, if that's you, if you're like, man, I'm failing, I'm struggling, I'm falling short, I want to be the man I'm called to be, don't pull yourself up by your bootstraps, don't fall into despair. You beg God to change you. That's the next step. And that's what I did. And I'll share a lot more about that next week. But when, when I really started seeing significant change in my marriage, significant change in the way I was leading my children, was when I cried out and said, God, I can't do it. So I need you to do it, come, uh, come and do it through me. And he has, and he has the eyes of your wife, men, the eyes of your children, the eyes of the church, the eyes of the Lord are on you. And so somewhere inside of us is a man, a biblical man through the power of his spirit and his grace. Let's access him. All right, let's pray. Holy Spirit, I just pray right now within the sound of my voice that your spirit would, Father, that your spirit would do his work in us, that he would convict of sin and that he would convict us of righteousness, Lord. That he would turn our eyes, the spirit right now would turn our eyes to the only hope we have of living this stuff out and that's Jesus. Father, if repentance needs to happen today, I pray it would happen. You give men the strength to, to turn from their sin. Pursue the hearts of their children, the hearts of their wives, and your heart, Jesus. Lord, we love you. Pray you would do a great work in our hearts. We ask these things today. In Jesus' name, amen.